And then the next thing I start to look at is, okay, you've done all the hard work and there's a point where you can't really do much more on your own. So where do I come in? How can I help you with the next step? What can we do to improve things? Hello, friends, and welcome to the Feeling Full Podcast. I'm Mordechai, an entrepreneur and coach who struggled with being overweight for nearly two decades. But since 2012, I've lost 130 pounds and have kept it off. Join me and my guest today to discover how it's possible and even simple to lose weight with ease without going on crazy diets or without doing intense workouts. If you're ready to give up quick fixes and fad diets and build a fulfilling relationship with your body and food, then this show is for you. Today, my guest is Dr. Sadrian. Dr. Sadrian was the surgeon who operated on me in February 2020, about 16 months ago. After losing my weight, I had a bunch of skin on my chest and stomach that really bothered me and I decided I was going to have it surgically removed. After interviewing a bunch of doctors, I decided Dr. Sadrian was a doctor I was going to go with, and I'm quite happy I did. From the moment I met Dr. Sadrian, I felt like he had my best interests at heart and was overall a compassionate, talented, kind man. Dr. Sadrian is a double board certified surgeon in both general plastic surgery and maxillofacial surgery. He has over 16 years of postgraduate education at John Hopkins University of Maryland, Baylor College of Medicine, University of Washington, Seattle, and Eastern Virginia Medical School. He's been practicing for over 20 years and has completed over 16,000 procedures. If you've been following my weight loss journey, you probably know this procedure was a big deal for me. And I wanted to share about it now on the podcast because people have been asking me about my surgery. They're thinking about it. They're thinking about possibly getting their surgery after having their own weight loss journey and struggling with some skin. And I get it because before my surgery, I asked a whole bunch of people as well to try to find as much information as possible. And it wasn't easy If you're curious about how I came to the decision to have cosmetic surgery, you'll probably enjoy episode 25 of the Feeling Full podcast, where I share more details on my experience with body shame, self-acceptance, and the decision to have skin removal surgery. In the conversation with Dr. Sage, we cover a lot of ground. Why your motivation for having surgery is really important. Some of the things you'll want to consider when thinking about cosmetic surgery, my experience with Dr. Sadrian, and how to be prepared physically, emotionally, and mentally, and much more. If you know somebody who would be inspired by this conversation, please share this episode with them. And a quick reminder to subscribe to Feeling Full on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts so you can stay in the loop with Feeling Full and future shows. Thanks for joining, and let's jump right in. Dr. Sadrian, it's a pleasure to have you today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you, Mordecai. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, welcome to the show. I've I've been really, really excited about the possibility of having you on the podcast. It's really hard to convey how much you've impacted my life. Um, You've been such a big part of my story. Yeah, I get a little even emotional thinking about, you know, the way I came in, you know, a year and a half ago and met you for the first time. I remember it came in with my laptop, with my backpack and bags with my sister, sat in your chair. And I was like, you know, after a little bit of talking, I was like, hey, I got a lot of questions. Is that okay? And I thought I would maybe scare you because, you know, I know how much time you had. But I pulled out my laptop and I just started scrolling through the questions. And I remember you just being so yeah. patient. Do you remember, you remember that? I remember that. And you have been one of my patients who honestly, I mean, I really appreciate it because you did ask a lot of questions. And you took your time. You really had done your homework and everything. So that's the ideal patient, you know. This is for you. All of this is for you. It's not for me, you know. And, and the more I know, the better. So I appreciated all of that. Absolutely. That's good to hear. You know, as you know, I interviewed many doctors. And right. 
I was honored that you picked me, of course. <laughs> you, you, <always laughs> you, would have broke, you would have broken my heart if you chose someone else but me, of course. But I was honored, yes. <laughs> you, you always said at the end of the interview, you know, I, I'm happy if you pick, pick whatever doctor feels good for you. But, you know, I'll be a little sad if you... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, it was good. I felt really comfortable with you. Great. Well, it really was a very, very good, um, I think, mutual experience for both of us. You were a very good patient, and I had a very good experience with you as well. So, Oh, thank you. I really appreciated you as well. So, Awesome. So what I'd like to do today is start off with a couple of rapid-fire questions, which means you can just give like the first thing that comes to mind, the short version answer, and then we'll jump into some of your, your backstory leading up to how you got where you are today. Okay. Cool. Sure. So my first question for you is, what do you eat? the morning of your procedures before you go into the OR? Coffee for sure. And sometimes I actually don't really eat anything. And other times I may have a healthy muffin of some sorts. My wife makes these wonderful, healthy, healthy muffins. You know, it's got a lot of like protein and all this stuff. And so I usually have one of those and coffee when I, when I start. So that's incredible. Coffee and a muffin. We'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> um, <what laughs> and mind you, these are healthy muffins. Okay? <laughs> I'm not going to school you on a muffin. That's not where I was going. <laughs> okay. So the second thing is, what is something that people often get wrong about you? I think their expectations. You know, I mean, I have a lot of experience. I'm very comfortable with what I do, but I'm not God. And I'm pretty humble. And I think most patients who get to know me, they, they realize that. But it's sometimes their expectations. You know, they just imagine that everything's going to be perfect. And it's not. It's not a perfect world. We do everything that we can try and make things as good as we can. We plan it. We talk about it. We do all of these things. But sometimes, you know, just we get it wrong or I may, maybe I miss it. And, and you know, it may, we not, may not hit it right on. And, and so uh, it's disappointed when it happens. It happens rarely. But I think that's what sometimes patients come in and they're, no matter what you say, they're not hearing it. They have in their mind, you know, what they want and what they want to sort of end up with and so forth. So they're not hearing everything else you're telling them. And then, you know, then they may be disappointed, but Mm -hmm. I'm very, very realistic. You know, I I don't sugarcoat anything and, you know, they have to know what they're getting into. So I definitely remember you saying many times, this is not going to be perfect. This is not going to be perfect. You know, this is going to be. I feel you on that. Okay, so the third question is, how long was the longest surgery you've ever performed? Back in my training, when I used to do a lot of trauma, some of those surgeries would take literally like 17, 18 hours. And some of them, actually, we had teams. Like, you know, we were there. We didn't even get a bathroom break or anything. And then eventually another team would come over and then we'd take a short break and would come back. So some of the big cases took, you know, 17, 18 hours easily. easily. Wow. Yeah. That sounds really intense. It was. And back then I had a little more energy than I do now. And, you know, <laughs> I could, I could do it. it. It was pretty tough back then. I feel like I remember my surgery being like, what is it? Eight or eight and a half hours? Around that time. Yeah. Yeah. I remember us planning for like a, originally like a six, six and a half hour surgery. And then it took a little bit longer. I remember you, I remember you telling me afterwards right. in one of the appointments that you just really wanted to take your time. Right. Well, the thing is, it's never a race. And, you know, what you want to do is you want to do everything that you can. And I, and I mean this, honestly, I don't ever want to leave the operating room and then afterwards have to, 
worry or think, gosh, I, would, I wish I had done this or I had done a little bit more of this or that. You want to do everything you can. You want to take your time. You know, sometimes we'll suture things up and we don't like it. We'll undo those and re-suture it again. So it's not a race. Did I get any of those on the um, sutured up and then undone? Not necessarily, but, you know, when it comes to the final, final stuff, like, you know, you pull and tuck things in different directions. And if you don't like the way it's coming together and you don't like the shape of it, then, yeah, you'll undo it. And then you redo it again and see how you can better it. So, Got it. Let's go back to the beginning of your journey in surgery. Where, where does, you know, what's the first thing that comes to mind if I ask you to take me back to the beginning days when you were just becoming Dr. Sadrian? So my story, I mean, if we have time, I'll quickly go over things. My story is a little bit different in that I actually started in dentistry. So I started with uh, dental training because I wanted to go into oral maxillofacial surgery, just the head and neck area. And that's that was going to be my love. By the time I finished dental school, then I went through oral maxillofacial surgery. A lot of the oral surgeons had started to do cosmetic procedures, you know, facelifts and rhinoplasties and other things. And for me, it was a decision whether I wanted to just do a short training and continue to do that, or did I want to actually go through and go through the whole, the whole training. And so I went back and I did uh, general surgery and then did plastic surgery. And when I finished, you know, and then I finally started to do what I really wanted to do. So it took a little bit longer for me. What was that? What did you, what did you really want to do? Well, initially I wanted to do just oral maxillofacial surgery, but you know, it's one of those things where you get into something, you're excited about it. And then by the time I would finish it, I would develop an interest in something else. I want to do a little bit more, a little bit more. Not that it was never, you know, enough. It's just that I would develop, you know, more interest. And, and as I learned more, you know, I wanted to do more with the full body as opposed to just the face. So, so when did you get into trauma? The trauma was actually initially she part of oral maxillofacial surgery. You know, I trained in Baltimore and the knife and gun club. I mean, every night we had people that were stabbed, gunshot wounds, all of that stuff. As an oral maxillofacial surgery resident, I would see a lot of the facial stuff, facial trauma. And a lot of times we would be spending hours and hours putting people back together and, and, and all of that. And then also, as part of my plastic surgery training, we obviously did some trauma as well, but that was more total body. Can you give me a little bit more of an idea of, I mean, I feel like that trauma, those trauma days were maybe traumatic. <laughs> Is there a surgery that you can remember that really stands out, like something that was really shocking, somebody who came in in like really terrible shape? So absolutely. I mean, there, there are uh, several, but like one of the simplest, and I think one of the first ones was that I heard that there was a motorcycle accident. We were going to walk into the trauma room and see this gentleman who was on his bike and was involved in the accident. And I had no idea what the extent of the injuries were and all that. You know, sometimes they prep you at a time. They'll tell you, okay, this is what's going on and so forth. I walked in the room and all I remember is half of his body, half of his skin was completely gone completely gone. I mean, we were looking at muscles and parts where we're looking at bone and stuff like that. Half of his body, you know, he had slid and literally on the asphalt, like he got totally, you know, the skin was just shaved off. And because I wasn't ready, I mean, I had seen stuff before. It wasn't, you know, the first time I'd seen that, but because I wasn't at all expecting that, I thought, you know, motorcycle accident, he probably has a few fractures and this and that. 
But it was like, wow, I had to like step back. I, I remember a couple of my other fellows that were with me, you know, some of them actually had to leave the room because they started throwing up. It was pretty bad. Part of the face was totally peeled off. Part of the body, the, you know, the arm, the chest, the whole leg on one side was like totally, totally sloughed off. So that was one of the more traumatic ones. Uh, and then other than that, you know, we saw a lot of gunshot wounds, either from somebody else, you know, shooting someone or somebody who would try to commit suicide. And, you know, they would put the rifle in a certain position and they wouldn't completely die. Unfortunately for them, part of their face would be blown off. So you'd walk in there and you're looking at, you know, parts of the brain, parts of the eye, you know, eyeball, you know, their their pieces just all over. And then that was when, you know, you'd be spending the next 17, 18 hours trying to figure all these pieces and putting people back together again. So those were pretty, pretty dramatic, pretty dramatic. Yeah, it sounds like that. I'm curious how those days inform the way you do business now, because obviously you're in a much different line of work at this point of your life and your career? So, you know, it actually helped me a lot. Two things really helped me a lot. One was my dental training because when it came to my dental training, because when it came to, you know, putting people back together again with jaw fractures, facial fractures and all that, the relationship of the upper and lower jaw and the teeth and how the face fits and all that, that was really helpful for me to have that background. And I already had a lot of training in, in fractures and all that when I got into um, plastic surgery. And then when you're dealing with trauma, you know, nobody is going to follow the textbook. It's not like, okay, I'm going to cut here. And then when I peel this away, I'm going to see the next layer and I'm going to see this blood vessel, that blood vessel. It's sometimes just a mess. So if you go through that experience and you learn how to deal with it and you learn how to function under those um, circumstances and under that pressure, then I think in your other practice, what else you do is generally speaking, not as complicated. It sets you up. It helps you so that you're more prepared. You kind of get a chance to think about things ahead of time, plan things ahead of time, which a lot of times with trauma, you don't. You know, trauma, you'd walk into the trauma room and, and you know, there was, you know, the mess you had to deal with. But with, particularly with uh, plastic surgery, you know, you see the patient ahead of time, you guys discuss what you're going to do, you make some plans, you make your surgical plans, and you're ready when you go in. Now, sometimes you're still surprised, but you're confident in how to handle those surprises. So, so facial surgery seems like probably the most intense or personal, I mean, it's the most visible thing we have is our faces. So correct. it sounds like you became really good at doing facial surgeries first. Correct. And, and, you know, my love originally was the facial surgery. And, you know, gradually as I did more and more, and of course, you know, I went into plastic surgery because I wanted to learn more about the rest of the body and, and all of that, because the number of cases that we see that have to do, for example, with breast, body, you know, tummies, those kind of things is by far greater than, than some of the facial stuff. Then I did more and more of everything. And I am a general plastic surgeon, but the face was the first thing that I really loved and fell in love with and wanted to really train well in. I'm curious if there's anything about the face that, like what particularly drew you in? As you mentioned, you know, it's the first thing people see. You know, if you are working on someone's breast, for example, or their tummy or somewhere else, you know, it's pretty hidden, but the face is the first thing people see and notice. And 
you really, really, it, it challenges you to do the best you can to make things as good as you can. Uh, and one of the signs of a good surgeon is, you know, you don't want to look like somebody's had surgery. You want them to look natural. And that's quite a challenge, you know. Yeah, I think that speaks so much to who you are. And I think that's really beautiful that you share that just because I, mean, I felt so cared for in your practice, not just by you, by your staff. And the feeling I got when I walked into your waiting room was very different than any other waiting room I walked into, any other doctor mm -hmm. I saw. And that as a testament to what you believe, you know, about the first impression we're making, the, the, the face of the company, the face of you, it's, it was mm. always consistent, kind, caring, and compassionate. I mean, I can go on and on, but. <laughs> Please do, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad you share that because it makes, uh, yeah, it just makes so much sense. And, you know, I just, honestly, I mean, plastic surgery in general is a very competitive field. You know, there's a lot of marketing going on and there are a lot of, you know, people out there and there are a lot of good surgeons out there, absolutely, as well. But I think at the end of the day, as an individual, you want to really love what you do, which I do absolutely. I would never want to do anything else other than what I do, but also care enough about people and care about what you're doing. It's not a race, you know, we were talking about earlier, you know, it's not, I don't want to do, you know, 10 surgeries in a row and, you know, make tons of money and then say, okay, boom, I'm done and then move on. You care about every single thing that you do. And I think it does show, I mean, I, you know, most of my practice, I've been in practice for over 20 years. Most of it has been just word of mouth anyway. And if it wasn't because people felt that and saw that, I don't think that that would have a business. Yeah, I would double down on what you just said. I mean, I've been to some offices and they're just books and books of before and afters. And I want to ask you for before and after photos. You're like, well, you know, we have a few. I'm like, what do you mean? You've done so many procedures. How come you don't have more before and after? He's like, well, we don't pressure people to send us photos of them. You know, we don't give discounts to people to send photos mm -hmm. of themselves. And I remember right. thinking like that felt so high integrity to me because there were very little sales and marketing done in your company. And you're right. I was actually introduced word of mouth, right? So as I, you know, I've heard about you. So it's um, right on. You heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take us back to the days. So that when I came in to get checked out for the first consultation, you know, I come in, I ask a lot of questions and then I take my shirt off and you start to see the skin on my chest, on my stomach, the extra skin that we were talking about removing. Uh -huh. When you're looking at me, you know, what lens are you looking at me through? You know, it's so easy to say, oh my God, you know, look at the shape. Oh my God, look at the amount of skin and all that. But the first thing, honestly, and I'm being very um, truthful with you, the first thing is I was very, very proud of it for what you had done. It wasn't until much later where you showed me your before picture. And, and like I told you before, I never, ever would have believed that, you know, you were the size that you were before. But seeing you during that initial examination, I was very, very proud of what you've done because that's the hardest part of this whole thing. I know for me, like if I want to lose 10 pounds, a little tie around my belt and all this stuff, I know how hard it is. Every day I say, okay, today I'm going to be good. Tomorrow I'm going to be this way. That It's hard. It is very, very hard. And for someone to have lost that much on their own with everything that you do, and you know, you were working out and I could feel the muscle, I could see the muscle and all of that stuff. So that was the first thing is I was very proud of what you've done. And then the next thing I start to look at is, okay, you've done all the hard work and there's a point where you can't really do much more on your own. So where do I come in? How can I help you with the next step? What can we do to improve things? So are you seeing it like the finished product before you, in your mind, it's a medical procedure, but you're also very artistic. Correct. It's a combination of the science and the art together. 
you know, having done these procedures before, you have an idea of the end result and you have an idea of what you can accomplish. But every patient and everybody is different. And first and foremost, you have to listen to your patient to see what do you want? You know, I may see with my eyes something that doesn't even bother you. And so the first thing is to find out, okay, what really bothers you and what is your goal? And then for me, in my mind, I start to develop a plan. For example, you know, we look at the breast. How far does the breast drop? How much skin do we have to deal with? You know, what is the shape of it? And then you start to kind of develop, okay, what would make this area look nicer and bring it closer to what you'd like to look like. Same thing with the tummy, you know, how much skin is there? How much, you know, how far around does it, does it go? And what do we do to improve it? So you start to develop some of the planning based on what, you know, your patient desires and based on your own experience. And then also keeping in mind, you know, some of the safety factors, because some things you would love to be able to do, but, you know, if you take too much skin off and the skin dies and the wounds don't close and all that stuff, then that's, that's not going to help the, the individual. So you start to think about all those aspects. When I came in to have the surgery, I remember thinking like my chest, I wanted to get certain skin off my chest and my stomach. And we were discussing whether to do like a, a extended tummy tuck or a regular tummy tuck. And there's all these mm -hmm. different options. I'm just curious, do people come in generally wanting to do it all? Or is it usually people come in with like, I just want to get this one thing done and you're helping them decide? So both, you know, I think ultimately People want to do a lot of things. You know, they're unhappy with their arms. They're unhappy with their chest. They're unhappy with their, with their tummy, et cetera. And some really want and expect us to do everything in one session, which sometimes is impossible. You know, you don't want to keep someone under surgery for 15 hours when it's an elective procedure. You don't want to you know, increase the risks of having problems afterwards. So some people come and they expect a lot and they, they, you know, they, they want to do more. Some people like you have done their homework and that's beautiful because they've already researched it. They've already studied it. They already kind of have looked at all the different options and all that stuff. Now, some overstudy it as well. And there is, you know, some not so much uh, good information on the internet. So some people, you know, have, have done almost too much, but those who've studied it are a lot easier to deal with because, you know, we can kind of go straight into this is the best option, et cetera, et cetera. And then there are those who really just pick one area. You know, they may say, I have all these things, you know, like my arms are, are the only thing that really bother me because I wear, you know, short, short sleeves and, and my, I don't like the amount of skin that hangs out and so forth. So it really varies. It's a little bit of everything. Yeah, I remember you asked me, like, what were the two most important areas? Anybody can walk in and want to do a lot of surgery, but what are the most two important areas? Because we can't put you on there for more than, you know, six to eight hours. We don't want to put you on there for more than six to eight, six to eight hours. Right. And you asked me what the two most important areas. And I remember thinking to myself, I remember standing there thinking to myself, I mean, to me, it was really obvious. It's kind of like once you go to the grocery store to, you know, you need to get, you know, a couple ingredients for something and you throw other things in your cart. And it kind of felt like, yeah, oh, I'm going to get plastic surgery. What else can I do to look amazing? Right. You can easily get carried away in that mindset. And I really appreciated that question in that moment because it really brought me home to myself in a sense of helping me understand, like, why are you here? Like, what bothers you? Right, exactly. That was a really good frame. And, you know, I mean, we spoke about the procedures, the different ways. There was, you know, a few different ways we could do the chest, like a couple of different ways we can do the stomach. Right. But all in all, I've got to say, I'm, I'm really pleased with the results.
And, you know, I mean, I started with a very good subject. So, <laughs> you, thank you know, thank you, you. you before surgery, you had done a lot on your own and you'd done a lot of toning and so forth. And um, I couldn't have been more proud of you afterwards because you've continued to work out really, really, you know, do a lot of your own toning and so forth as well. So I can only take part of the credit. You know, it's it's really nice when both the surgeon and the patient work together and reach the goals. Definitely a team job. So I'm curious, what's the general theme with people coming in who have lost weight? Are they coming in right after they lost weight to get the surgery done? Like what's what do you generally see through people who've gone through a weight loss journey? So, you know, I see some patients, and these are fewer, I see some patients who are starting their journey to do the weight loss, but they already are looking ahead and, you know, they want to know, okay, after I lose the weight, what are my options and what can we do and so forth. So I see some patients like that. Uh, but for a lot of patients, and I don't know whether it's our system and, and you know, are we telling patients everything they need to know and are we giving them the options? Sometimes they go through the weight loss surgery. Uh, sometimes they lose it on their own, but also I see a lot of people who have gone through like gastric bypass surgery and, and other things, you know, but they don't really realize that, yes, they're going to lose the weight. They're going to lose, you know, some of the mass, but the skin is going to be droopy and, and the shape is going to be what's going to be, et cetera, et cetera. Because these are typically people that, you know, we're talking about massive weight loss. And so those are the patients that go through, they've had other things done and then now they come and they're disappointed, suddenly realizing, hey, you know, yeah, I look great with my clothes on, but I don't like what I see underneath there. So then we start from scratch pretty much and go over, you know, some of these options and things like that. Patients who've typically lost the weight already are more common. The ones that come and see me are people who've already lost the weight and they're looking at themselves and now they're not liking everything that they see. And now they're looking for options. You know, obviously we all know that, you know, you lose pounds, you gain pounds. It's kind of like, you know, life happens, right? right. How long do you tell people to wait between generally losing the weight and getting the surgery? Like if someone decides they want to get the surgery? I mean, there is no really right or wrong answer, but ideally if it's been six months or so, that would be better. I typically work with their surgeon if they've, you know, lost the way through surgical means and so forth to see what their recommendation is. A lot of times they need to, from a nutritional standpoint, you know, they need to be totally balanced and, and we want to make sure from a healing standpoint, everything's good and, you know, let the body kind of go through the initial trauma of the weight loss get everything to be settled and also for them to maintain that weight. So they realize that, okay, you know, yeah, I've done this for X number of months and this is where I am. And, you know, this is my activity and, and I'm fine. And now we're ready for surgery. So we want to wait a little bit. We don't want to jump into it. And then the other thing that we oftentimes do is we actually stage things and we say, okay, well, it's not a one-time deal. Let's plan on working on the area that bothers you the most and then once that's all healed, let's come back and now address, you know, the second or third areas. And so you can kind of think about it as more long-term, which is more ideal rather than saying, okay, I want to do as much as I can one-on-one -on -one surgery and do as much as I can. It's such an interesting thing. I mean, two things I think is, are really interesting is one, it's the six-month thing. I mean, it feels quite short, to be honest, with people who lose weight, mm -hmm. just because like, I mean, the mindset takes longer to adjust, even if their body physically adjusts. I'm wondering, do you see people that go through that six month period or around that time, do they stay in that shape afterwards when you see them a year or so later? I know you do, you know, yearly checkups. 
you know, the ones that are really serious about everything, you know, they've literally, they've turned their lives around. They are going in a different direction. Now they're eating very healthy. They're working out. Everything in their life is changing. Those typically will maintain it and keep it and all that. The patients that worry me are the patients that are doing a lot of seesawing. You know, they've tried a whole bunch of different, you know, diets and they've now gone through the surgery and they're really, really not. And they'll be honest and they'll say, you know, I'm not really, really following the recommendations um, of my surgeon. And those are the ones that I'm always weary about. And those are the people that we wait. And when I say six months, like I said, you know, there's no really magic number. But for me, I think six months is minimum. You know, I would not really want to do a surgery on somebody who's had surgery, you know, sooner than who, who has lost the weight uh, through surgical means, you know, sooner than six months. Because if nothing else, I want to make sure that, yeah, you know, their electrolytes are balanced, their all of the healing issues are good and protein wise are good, everything's good and they're maintaining it and so forth. But we have to communicate and see there are some patients who, you know, are depressed. They can't wait to do something. They won't go outside. They really have a lot of issues with their body. And, you know, of course, you want to help them as much as you can. And maybe there are some things that you could do sooner rather than wait a long time. I was thinking on the other on the other point was, I wonder how many people come back for a second round of surgery because I'm thinking about myself and all the healing. Mm -hmm. And, right. you know, if you told me to come back to do more surgery or if I want, I, I think... Yeah, after going through the healing process, I, I really, really need to want it. Right. It's not like something that you want a little bit. You know, you have to really, really, really want that exactly. because you know what the healing process is going to be like. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, if you can just talk a little bit about my healing process, what you noticed from your end, because I've shared a little bit about mine. And I would just love, love to have that conversation because I think it's important for anybody who's thinking about the going into this, the way that the way that we go into it is is impactful to the way that our bodies respond. Sure. You know, I think the first thing is, you know, for the surgeon to be honest and and not tell somebody, hey, you know, you you do the surgery and, you know, two weeks later you're going to be back at work or be back at the gym, that sort of thing. You have to be very honest. Part of it is, you know, what the surgeon does, part of it is how the body heals and not everyone is going to heal the same way. You go over some of the activities, what to do, what not to do, how to protect yourself. So you allow things to heal. And then essentially, depending on how extensive the surgery has been and really what areas, you know, different areas may heal differently. The tension that's put on the wound, the incision, um, when you do a tummy tuck, for example, you know, you can't really stand up completely straight for the first couple of weeks. Now, if you have somebody who keeps, you know, trying to stand up or ever overextend themselves, then potentially the wounds can open or you can have issues with healing and so forth. So part of it is really walking through this and, and both being on the same page. And those patients who really, really want this, I feel like they're going to really, really take care of themselves like you. And, and I'm not just saying this, but you were really an excellent patient. You really, really like you followed instructions, you called if you had questions, you know, all of this stuff. Just to interject there, I think I was really paranoid about the the infections, you know, so <laughs> I was so, so worried about getting an infection that like I was, someone told me before surgery, like, you know, infection is like the worst thing to get. If you get it, you're, you know, risk of dying, like you can't get an infection. So for me, like, I was like, the one thing I need to make sure I do is not get an infection. Get an infection. So remember, I was like, everything was optimizing for like, you know, being clean and exactly. sanitary and just yeah. really, really taking care of myself. Which is, which is fantastic. You know, you do what you can to heal as well as you can. 
because, you know, again, part of it is what I do and part of it is, you know, you and how your body heals and so forth. I think with you in particular, you know, there, there were areas that were pretty tight. We pulled pretty tightly and, you know, there's a lot of tension. You put a lot of sutures, different layers of sutures to help support that and, and hold things. And then the incision itself, you want to keep the scar as minimal as possible. So you do extra stuff with suturing and other things to try to keep the tension off so that the scar will be will be good. There sometimes are areas that may open up and it may be a small area that opens up and then you just have to deal with it and allow it to uh, you know keep it nice and clean and allow it to heal on its own. There are other areas where, you know, there is so much skin that as you bring things together, you may have some puckering of the skin that takes time, sometimes months for some of that to get smoother and smoother. Some areas are going to look bumpy right after surgery, you know, the way you have to suture things and, and, you know, the way that you close things, you know, some of this is very, very normal, natural, and you just have to be patient with it, allow time to do what it needs to do. In general, you know, we, we like to think that any any surgery takes about six weeks for a majority of the healing to have happened. But even after six weeks, you're not 100% healed. So it's still going to take you some time. So we kind of walk through this together. It's a journey that we walk through together. And, and that's one reason why I like to see my patients frequently, because there are things that I may see and may change sort of the directions. And then there are other things that you may have questions about. And you know, I may not have even thought about, but you show me things and ask me about things so that we make sure that we optimize the healing. I definitely felt that support throughout the process. I mean, I think we're, you were seeing me pretty regularly over Zoom. Right. That was during the pandemic. Right. I mean, it came to the office a couple of times, but I remember seeing mo- a lot of it was over Zoom. I know we're talking a lot about weight loss surgery, and I know that's not even your prime. I mean, you do a lot of them, but it's not really your primary, uh, or maybe it is. I know you've done over 16,000 procedures. What's your breakdown? So I think for pretty much most plastic surgeons, I think breast surgery is going to be number one. Very, very common. You know, there are millions of breast surgeries every year. Uh, I think liposuction is right up there. Uh, a lot of liposuction. And then after that is where it comes to the tummies and the mommy makeovers, faces, rhinoplasty, eyes, eyelid surgery, very, very common. When it comes to weight loss surgery, it is less common for a couple of reasons. One is that if you just think about, you know, the millions of people who want to, for example, get breast surgery done versus, you know, how many people really have gone through the process of weight loss and now they want to, you know, do weight loss surgery. The numbers are a lot less for sure. A lot less. The other thing is that it's a much more complicated surgery and it's not something that, you know, everybody likes to do and everybody is going to take the time to do and so forth. And I apologize for saying that, but, you know, sometimes surgeons are looking for a quick buck, you know, why spend eight hours and torture yourself if you can do, you know, a much simpler procedure and, you know, get paid a lot more sometimes. The other things, um, you know, when it comes to the facial stuff, for for example, for me, I definitely do a lot more breast and lipo just because of the numbers. And I do a lot of mommy makeovers and tummies. And then the next thing is really the faces, like the noses and eyes and so forth. And we go through periods where, you know, like right now, because of Zoom and everything else, a lot of people are looking at themselves and their faces. So suddenly within the last year and a half, we're seeing a lot more people interested in the stuff for their face. They're seeing themselves blown up, <laughs> you know, zooming in and so forth. So wow. it also varies. It goes, you know, 
It's so interesting. It's, it's it's such an interesting thing because on the one hand, you know, there's this whole idea of self-acceptance and, you know, self-love and, and really just appreciating yourself. And I'm really curious, you know, I, there's definitely a place for plastic surgery. Sometimes, it's, you know, it's medical or like the trauma that you're talking about before. And sometimes it's psychological and emotional and sometimes it changes people's lives. Right. I'm curious, is there a surgery that you've done that like, you know, that it really stands out as how it impacted this person's life in like a profound way? You know, I used to do reconstructive surgery, which for facial deformities, you know, someone who has a deformity of the face and the face, of course, especially because, you know, they were very uncomfortable every time they walked out, someone saw them, you know, they were just, you know, everybody was staring at them, that kind of thing. So those kind of facial deformities really were life-changing for sure. And when it comes to more of the cosmetic type of things, like even a rhinoplasty, you know, I'm of a Middle Eastern background. I see a lot of Middle Easterners with, you know, really large beaky noses and things like that. And especially the younger patients who get teased a lot and so forth. So when you do a rhinoplasty, it's amazing how both men and women, how, you know, their outlook changes, how much more self-assured they are now. Uh, and those are life-changing. You know, I may think of it as a cosmetic surgery, but I know for sure that I am going to change someone's life. Things like breast augmentation, for example, for the right reasons, they're they're good. But to me personally, they're not as satisfying. Sometimes you have somebody who's, for example, a full C cup and they want to be a double D just to be larger. To me, that's not as satisfying. And I'm not sure, honestly, at that point, you know, what am I doing? How am I helping changing someone's life with that? But Someone who has deformity of their face, somebody who has, you know, and knows that, you know, they really don't like, those are pretty, pretty life-changing. Even when it comes to, you know, like tummy tucks and things like that, you know, after a couple of kids and, you know, they can't wear their clothing and they've got the pooches and so forth. And then all of a sudden, you know, they, they say, no, I've gotten my figure back, back when I was, you know, in my twenties or thirties. And now they're a lot more active. They're doing all sorts of things. Those are very satisfying and they're life-changing. That's incredible. I mean, I've, someone asked me, like, what was the biggest impact in my surgery at some point recently? And I remember, like, the first thing that came to mind was I just, I said, I feel more like myself. Like, I feel like mm. who I am. I think before, like, you know, with my shirt on, it wasn't visible. I still felt the weight of not not even the physical weight of the skin, but like the emotional weight of the having the skin right. and the ability to not have that. My body is far from perfect. And I, I don't think I was ever going for perfect, but I feel like me. I feel like myself. I can take my shirt mm -hmm. off and I feel like me. I can, you know, right. run around and feel like me. And it just it's a thing that's really hard to explain. And I really think like the advice I often give is like, what's the reason you're doing the surgery? Is it for you? Is it for somebody else? And I think that helps people like asking yourself that one question is such a help it's such a helpful way to clarify what the motivation is and then you know what your outcome is gonna be. Because I think if someone's going for perfect, it's a never ending road to perfect. Exactly. I think if I was going for perfect, I'd be right back at your operating table. Table. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, uh, along what you just said, you know, it is so true because sometimes I have um, a couple, and you know, the woman is getting breast enlargement because the boyfriend is insisting on it, and the boyfriend likes her to be a certain size. And to me, you know, that's like the worst reason. And wow. I can't tell you how many patients I've seen who later on, you know, the relationship is over, and now the patient comes back, and now they want to go back downsize and so forth. But at the same time, if I see a woman who's lost a lot of weight 
and they've lost the volume in their breast and now they've got saggier looking breasts and they're really not very comfortable with how they look. And for that patient, you do the breast surgery and they are the happiest. They feel confident. They've got their figure back, et cetera. So that's awesome. Where you get, you know, I, I also see a lot of younger guys who, you know, they will never take their shirt off. They don't want to go to the beach and they don't want to be in the around the pool, et cetera. So because they've got gynecomastia, the breast volume is a little bit fuller. And honestly, sometimes when I see them, it's not like horrible. It's not like, you know, a female-like breast. It's just, you know, it's larger than being flat of what they would like it to look like. And you do the surgery for them. All of a sudden, you know, they're active, they're out there, they're taking their shirts off, they're going to the beach, et cetera. That's life-changing. So for me also, those are the more satisfying procedures. But like you said, it's all about what do they want and what's the reason why they want to do something. Yeah, that's a really profound way to think about it. The same thing goes for losing weight. It's like, what's the reason? I always ask people when they're, you know, thinking about losing weight, it's like, what's the reason you want to lose it? Because when you have, you know, a very deep reason, a deep why, if it's for, if the motivation is lined up with why you really want it, it lasts a lot longer. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, I think that's really important because it's financially a, an investment, you know, physically and emotionally, it's an, it's an investment all, all, over, all around, you know? Right. I think what would be interesting to wrap up with just, you know, a lot of people ask about scarring, like, you know, after you get the surgery, like after you get over the hump of like, all right, I'm getting the surgery, then you're worried about like, okay, well, how am I going to deal with the scars? How do you think about that? So number one, I mean, everyone needs to know if you're going to cut something, there's going to be a scar. So you never want to underestimate it or you don't want to ever tell patients, oh, don't worry, the scars are going to disappear because they're not. There's always going to be a line where you made, made a cut. The tricky part of it is, you know, where do you place these scars so they're less visible? How do you follow the natural lines of the body to make them less visible? And then how do you suture things back together? So you take the tension off, you keep the tension away. And then afterwards, what do you do to treat the scars and and kind of maintain the scars? You know, there are scar products that you can put on. There are lasers that you can use to treat the scars with. And um, there are injections that we sometimes do to, um, you know, minimize the scars and so forth. Most patients really over time will get a scar that's a very reasonable scar. And if they were to ever compare and say, you know, would I rather have a scar? Would I rather not do anything and, and have my, you know, skin and, and the shape and so forth? Almost all the patients would choose the scar. There are very, very few, few patients who say, you know, wow, God, I hate my scar and I wish I'd never done this. But as a plastic surgeon, you know, part of my job is to really figure out, okay, how do I design this? You know, you're the architect, so you have to kind of make the plans so that how do I design this so that it's in the areas that are least visible and also they're going to be fairly acceptable. And then also, what do we do to treat it along the way? To your point, like, I wouldn't trade scars in any day of the week, even though, like, I think they're, I mean, they're placed perfectly, like they're right on the lines, you know, it's, I'm curious, it may, maybe be helpful if you just paint a picture, like, how did you sutra my skin? And how did you place those scars? So, for example, when it comes to the tummy, you know, you think about, okay, what kind of a swimsuit is, is the patient going to be wearing? What kind of underwear do you wear? What do you wear and how did do you I try, wear Did it? I show you my underwear? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you don't remember? I'm sorry. We won't get too personal. but And a lot of times I ask patients to actually bring it the morning of the surgery because we're going to draw it. We're going to draw where to place it. Place the incision. So you try to keep it in an area that's going to be normally as hidden as possible. 
And then the next thing in terms of, you know, the surgical part of it is usually we put layers of sutures, starting with deeper layers and we come towards the skin. When it comes to the skin, I don't like to put any sutures or staples or anything on the skin itself. I run the sutures under the skin. So uh, things tend to heal nicer and these are mostly resorbable sutures. I don't have to take them out. And then on top of that, we may use taping and we may use things to try to decrease the tension on top of that and then allow things to heal over time. So it's from from the depth all the way up to the surface of the skin, kind of wow. planning, you know, how you're going to do that and, and, you know, multiple layers. How much time should it all, all the, the pulling go away completely or, or does it not go away completely? Because I still feel a little bit of tension sometimes. So the truth is, you know, everything's always going to feel tighter than it was before. But in terms of the healing, you know, that six weeks, that initial six weeks is sort of like the magic, magic mark. But if there is a lot of tension, like you're extending yourself and you're doing a lot of, you know, working out and doing all sorts of things, the more pulling there is, you know, you're still going to stretch. There's still going to be tension at, at that incision line. But from a surgical standpoint, you know, the sutures that we put in and how we take care of it and so forth, you know, our, our goal is that within about six weeks, about at least eighty percent of the healing has already happened. So I should get used to the the stretch, the pulling on the stretching. <laughs> <laughs> Some of that is going to be there because you're going to be tighter. You know, if you think about, for example, the the midline, your abdominal muscles in the midline, they've been right. pulled in horizontally as well, right. and the sutures that I put in for those areas are permanent sutures. The goal is for them to always stay there and for them to hold things together tighter. So you're always going to feel tighter there. Yeah, it's one of those things that it's it's a it's one of those like little little rubs. It still wouldn't be something that I would ever trade in, you know, the the procedure mm-hmm. for, even though it's like a little bit of like sometimes it's a little thing, you know. You brought up something that I actually wanted to make sure I asked you, which is there was this um, demeanor that you have, this patient, calm, collective. I felt very comfortable around you by all the meetings that we mm-hmm. had. And then the morning of surgery, I was kind of expecting the same doc to show up, you know, this, this calm. <laughs> and I remember, sh- I remember showing up and it was, I think I probably got in like four or five o'clock or six o'clock in the morning. Was that it or something like that? Really usually early. Usually right? by seven, usually seven. By seven, yeah, seven. Yeah. By mm-hmm. seven o'clock in the morning. And, and then you came in around 7.30 to mark, to make the marks for the surgery. And you were just like, it was a different version. It was you had like laser eyes. You were focused. You were just like you were. There's <laughs> like uh, intensity to you. You you like you were in it. Like you were in mode. You know, a different. There was a different version of you. And I'm just curious what changes for you when you go from, you know, the consultation phase to the operation phase. Well, it's showtime. You know, it's um, all the preparation and everything else you've done beforehand. You know, now is the time to perform, and now is the time to be really serious about what you do. I'm generally a very nice guy around my staff and, and in the operating room and all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, my patients always come first. So it, it's not that I become a different person, but your focus is now different. When we're having a casual conversation about what do I see and, and what are my suggestions and all that, you know, there's, there's not a lot of pressure there. We can talk about anything and everything for as long as we can. But now is the time to do the surgery. And this is the morning of surgery. We've already made the plans. This is what we're going to do. So my focus is, okay, you know, how do I get this job done the best that I can, as safely as I can? And, um, you know, again, it's showtime. Now we got to do it. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit different. 
I was surprised, but I was also like, wow, it's really interesting. I was more curious than anything else. Because, you know, you also don't want, and this is why even with my staff is, you know, you don't want people to think that you're also, you know, calm and cool and casual. There's nothing casual about this. You know, you sometimes literally have someone's life in your hands. You have to be very careful. You have to make sure that you've got a great anesthesiologist. How are they going to give their anesthesia? How are they going to monitor them? You know, your eyes and ears are in the background, even though you're doing the surgery, you're listening to all these things to make sure, okay, how's my patient doing? How's their oxygenation? What's their blood pressure like? All of these things. So you have to be more, more serious, but still the same nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I remember even after surgery coming off the meds seeing you, like I can sense it was a hard day. I was a hard day of work. <laughs> <laughs> you forgot to send the massage therapist afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, wow. What a, what, that was, what a time to, to be wheeled out. Like, so it's, it's a crazy, you go in at six thirty, seven o'clock and then I uh, remember being wheeled out. It's dark, almost dark outside. And it's just such a, oh. that first night was just, it was such a crazy thing. Yeah. Well, we also want to make sure we keep you in the in the uh, recovery room until we're comfortable that you, right. you're going to do well and you're exactly. nice and awake and everything's nice and stable. So, yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah. I'm really grateful for you um, for just all the work that you do and the, and the really and the care and compassion that you have. I'm glad that our paths crossed. I'm just happy to be able to have you on the show and, and share and share these ideas. And for anybody who's discovering, you know, I keep saying I'm not like a I'm not like a plastic surgery advocate, but I do see the value for somebody who who does feel like they they need it or want it. I really appreciate you. Well, thank you so much. And and honestly, you know, you've been a great great patient. You know, we've I think we've gone beyond a uh, uh, just a patient surgeon relationship. You know, you've taught me a lot as well. Every patient also teaches me about the experiences, what you went through. You know, some of the recommendations. You know, if you did this or that, you know, it would have been easier for me. And and you know, all of those things matter. And that's what also makes me better, makes me a better surgeon. It's not just about, you know, me walking in with a patient completely asleep and, you know, cutting and sewing and then leaving the operating room. You know, it's the whole thing, what we do beforehand, how we walk through this whole thing together afterwards and, and so forth. And you've taught a lot to me as well. Uh, and you really have been a great person as well as a patient. So I really appreciate it. So, Thank and, you. Uh, you know, you were very, very smart. You did your homework ahead of time, you know. You know, you were one of my tougher patients because, you know, you questioned everything as you should, but I felt very comfortable because, you know, when it comes to realistic expectations and all that, I felt very, very comfortable that, you know, you're, you're prepared. And after the surgery, I also knew, and you did exactly that, that you just, you did your part as well. You didn't just say, oh, okay, I've done my surgery. Now I'm going to go have pizza every night and, <laughs> you know, do all of that. You've worked hard and you've continued to work hard to, to maintain it. And, and, you know, so I'm very proud of you as well. And it's been a great relationship. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm really, I'm grateful for our developing relationship here and um, yeah, for everything you said. Thank you. Thank you as well. I want to wrap with one question, um, which is a question I like to ask all my guests, which is, um, what is one area of your life where you are feeling full in right now? You know, I'm very content with what I do. I love what I do, and I wouldn't change it for anything else. I mean, general surgery, sometimes I feel like, you know, you're doing the same procedure over and over again with plastics. I feel like, you know, every patient, even if it's the same procedure, is different. It's challenging, and it's exciting. So I feel very, very fulfilled. I don't know if we're ever completely 100% fulfilled because, you know, you don't want to stop living. Maybe that's one reason why I continue to go on from, you know, one specialty to the next and, you know, do a fellowship in this and that 
you know, because just when you feel like, okay, I've, I've done this and I've learned this, et cetera, et cetera, there are other challenges that come up and you want to learn more and want to do more. So in that sense, maybe not a hundred percent fulfilled. You still have to continue to learn and all that, but I'm pretty happy about what I do. I wouldn't trade it for anything else. Ah, oh, that brings a big smile to my face. <laughs> how, how much fulfillment you get from this type of work. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything you want to leave somebody listening with? You know, I think the key points is really a lot of things that you hit on is, you know, what do you want? Why? If you want to do something, why? And it doesn't have to be surgical. There are a lot of non-surgical things that we do as well, but always, you know, ask why. What's the reason? Are you doing it for yourself? Are you doing it for someone else? And sometimes, you know, if, if you're doing it for someone else, it may not be, you know, for the wrong reasons and that's fine. But, you know, what is your goal? What do you want ultimately? And don't be afraid to go for it. You know, people are always afraid of surgery, anesthesia, all that. I mean, you know, things are very, very safe, but be realistic, do your homework, learn all of the potential risks, you know, be comfortable accepting some of those risks. No matter what anyone tells you out there, none of us are God, you know, we can do a great, great job and sometimes things can still go wrong, et cetera. So just be very, very realistic, be very comfortable, but also know that, you know, if there are things that are bothering you, there there are solutions for them and don't be afraid. You know, we live at a time where I think a lot more people are, you know, doing cosmetic like surgery for, for, for their own benefit. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I remember my mentors telling me that a lot of times, especially, I mean, I still have male patients who don't want to share any of this information with others, but my mentors used to say, you know, kind of like the Hollywood, a lot of people would have surgery and nobody wanted anybody else to know that they had had cosmetic surgery. Things have changed. You know, people don't really care as much. They don't mind sharing as much. And I think that's good because it allows people who may have some concerns to then, you know, reach out and try to find a solution. So they can be happier, but always do it for the right reason. Yeah, I, I think that belongs on a billboard. <laughs> Doc, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much again and have an awesome rest of your day. Thank you so much, guy. It was a pleasure and uh, you have a wonderful rest of your day as well. And great seeing you again. Thanks so much. All right. Thank Take you. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's it for us today, friends. Thanks for listening. If you want to keep in touch, subscribe to my weekly emails at feelingfull.com, where I unpack what I'm learning about weight loss and share ways we can all live healthier, more fulfilling lives. Do you know someone who's struggling right now? If they can use some support, feel free to share this episode with them. And if you have a moment to rate and review, that really helps grow the show. Take care, be well, and feel full.